Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The sermon this morning is based on the Gospel from St. Matthew. We just heard. Please be seated. Have you ever had the experience of reading or hearing a section of text from the Bible and saying to yourself, I really feel connected to the individual who appeared in that story? Did it seem that you could closely identify with him or her because of some shared experiences or similar circumstances? If you've heard or you've read the Bible enough, that sort of identification is almost inevitable. That's because the Bible is not just God's story, it's our story as well. The scriptures record the breadth and the height, and yes, even the depth of the human experience. It's full of triumphs and tragedies, kindnesses and killings. It's as though God wanted each and every one of us to hear or to read the scriptures and be able to think and to say, yes, that's often how it's like. I felt just like that sometimes. That's exactly how it can be for me. In fact, if you can't relate to people and stories in the Bible sometimes, I suggest you check your pulse. You're either dead or in denial. With which individuals in the Bible, and in what sort of circumstances, do you identify? Is it Abraham? He's certainly one of the best known and most faithful of those individuals we're told about in the Bible. He was called by God to trustingly leave his place of residence and to go to a new land. He was promised that in spite of the frustration that he and his wife had experienced for years and years, he would become the father of a great many nations. He was told that all humanity would be blessed through him. Abraham believed God, we are informed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Maybe Moses is more your type escaping almost certain death as an infant by being rescued by someone with influence, protected, growing up and enjoying all that power and wealth can bring and offer. Later, he rebelled against that upbringing, and he brought hardship upon himself due to his own rash actions. Finally, it seems he got his act together and lived the life of faith and purpose. A leader, one who remained vigorous with all of his wits and his faculties about him right to the very end of his life. How about David? Good-looking, athletic, popular, and heroic. He came from a good but not necessarily a wealthy family. He worked hard. He took advantage of all those opportunities that came his way, most of them anyhow. Even as a young man, he was one you could count on to pull through with a big play when the chips were down. 
He caught the eye of those who were in a position to elevate his station in life. And finally, he reached the top after striving and struggling and overcoming lots of troubles and turmoils and setbacks. Maybe you think you're a little like Paul sometimes. Brilliant. Graduated at the top of his class. Knew his facts inside and out. Persuasive. Able to mount a solid and convincing argument at a moment's notice, thinking on his feet. Not intimidated in difficult circumstances or by powerful people. Patient. Well-traveled. Willing to endure hardship for the sake of the greater good. Do you see yourselves in any of those people, at least occasionally or in part? Sometimes I do. Most of the time I don't. Matthew. Now, Matthew is a guy that I can connect with for a variety of reasons. There he was, sitting at the tax collection booth, just minding his own business. Well, minding Caesar's business and Herod's business, but you know what I mean. He was just doing his job, crunching the numbers to arrive at the right answer. His primary focus of his day-to-day life revolved around money and how he could get more of it both for himself and for his employers. And even though his Jewish countrymen probably didn't see it and despised him, in fact, for his vocation as tax collector, he was actually doing beneficial work. After all, without taxes, how would the empire or the province function? How would we pay those who kept order in the society? How would they construct roads that would enable commerce? build buildings for the government to operate in, and pay the employees of the state. Sure, maybe the collection of taxes put a pinch on people sometimes, and they resented it. But Matthew's profession was useful and necessary work. Matthew himself probably didn't like being blamed for the fact that people didn't like his job and that it made them angry sometimes. He was comfortable And while his lifestyle may have not been a lavish one, he certainly didn't have to worry about where his next meal was coming from either. Yeah, I could relate to Matthew for all that. It was a lot like my life used to be. Money wasn't a problem. I was doing useful work, contributing to the betterment of those I worked with and worked for. What we accomplished was directed to the overall improvement of our nation and our society. Yes, it's true that sometimes our work harmed people or displaced people, and it could often cause them some sort of hardship. Many people didn't have a very high opinion of the sort of work that I did. Still, on the whole, it was focused on making the big picture better, even if a lot of little pictures got crumpled up along the way. Then came the big interruption. Jesus came to Matthew, sitting there at the tax booth, minding his own business, and with two little words, follow me, he turned Matthew's world upside down. The next thing Matthew knew, he was learning more about the word of God. He was preparing himself to share the good news and to proclaim Jesus' teaching to others. 
It wasn't convenient. It wasn't fair. It wasn't like the life he knew before. Yep, sure as shooting. I could identify with Matthew. How about you? Has God turned your life upside down yet? Has his call sparked you to learn more about his word and to spread his good news? Or are you still comfortably seated? But then I read a little bit further on in the gospel text. There was Jesus at Matthew's house, associating himself with the disgraceful and the outcast and the downtrodden, even going so far as to sit down to a meal with them. And this was a huge deal in the ancient world. To break bread with someone was to show acceptance, to put yourself on equal footing with them. Yes, I know, political candidates sometimes will get out there and be all folksy. They'll wander into the local diner to rub elbows with the auto mechanics and the store clerks and the farmers, but you know how it really is. That's just a photo op. But back in Matthew's day, people of good social standing like rabbis, they didn't associate themselves and have meals with tax collectors and other undesirables. There, too, were the Pharisees, the upright, well-educated, cautious, never-set-a-foot-wrong Pharisees. With their noses in the air and a chip on their shoulder, they go to Jesus' disciples and they lodge a complaint. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? In other words, how dare he call himself a rabbi and hang out with this rabble? How can he speak of the kingdom of heaven and live and eat and have dinner with the dregs of this world? Why doesn't he meet our expectations? Then it hit me. I can identify with the Pharisees, too. How often have I avoided taking my complaints and concerns directly to God and instead bothered and burdened others with them? How many times in my life have I isolated myself from those I consider beneath me? How many times have I thought that I had all the answers, had everything figured out, had considered all the angles, and I somehow couldn't reconcile it with what Jesus was doing compared to what I thought ought to be done? Yes, I've been a Pharisee plenty of times, and I imagine that so have many of you. We complain behind others' backs. We whine when the world doesn't confirm or conform to our view of how things ought to be. We elevate ourselves in our own eyes, and we throw unflattering labels on those who don't need our approval, those who aren't like us. Worst of all, we question God, and we wonder why it is that his ways and his actions can't be justified with our thoughts. Through it all, we're often blind to the fact that we've done any of these things. For all those times that we've been Pharisees toward God and toward one another, we should all repent. It wasn't until the last paragraph of today's Gospel lesson, however, that the real connection, the real identification to me with this Bible story became all that apparent. No, it wasn't with Jesus I first identified. 
And it wasn't with the example of the doctor he gave as, as he confronted the Pharisees, helping them to understand what his mission and his ministry were all about. No, the individuals that I can most closely identify with this in this Bible story, and so should you, are the sick and the sinners. It's true that we're sometimes like Matthew, sitting there fat, dumb, and happy in the midst of our earthly lives, and that God comes to us and wrenches us out of our comfort zone and asks, him, asks us to follow him even when we're not prepared to do so and in ways we might never have expected. And it's also true that sometimes we're like the Pharisees, questioning God's ways and wondering why his ways aren't ours. We want our way to be followed, ways we think are more fitting, more right, or more expedient. But that just goes to show you just how sick with sin we truly are and how desperately we as sinners need Christ's healing. We weren't just sitting there comfortable in our day-to-day -day lives, waiting for the Son of God to wander by one day and offer us a new opportunity to think over and to consider accepting. We were so sick with sin that we were dead in our trespasses, not a shred of righteousness to call our own. We were beyond any earthly cure, beyond any ability to reach out and seek his grace or to grasp his mercy. So dead, we didn't even realize it. That was your identity. That was mine. That was even Abraham, who decided that maybe he couldn't wait for God's way to play out to give him that promised heir and took things upon himself. That was Moses' identity when he showed excuses for his reluctance. That was David's when he tried to cover up his sin and even had put it out of his mind for a while. And that was Paul's, too, as he persecuted the church of God. Six sinners, one and all. But to each and every one of us, God beckons. He sees us occupied with the things of this world, dead in our trespasses, and he speaks his words, follow me. Follow me, he says, and all that goes along with it. Follow me to the font where your sickness will be washed away so that you might become a beloved child of the Heavenly Father and you will find yourself well pleased in his sight. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me to the mount where I will teach you my ways and my will, setting the lamp of my word before your feet and preparing you to be a servant and a light to the world. Follow me to Jerusalem. Follow me to the upper room and join me in a meal, for I not only dine with sinners, but I give sinners myself, my body and blood for the forgiveness of all their sins. Follow me in taking up my cross, Take it up as yours. Crucify your sinful self with the daily death of repentance. Follow me even to the grave, and beyond that grave to the joys of heaven, where you will rest in the blessed assurance that where I am, there my servant shall be also. The great miracle in all of this, of course, is not that you or I can identify with Matthew, or with the Pharisees, or even as being numbered among the six sinners whom Jesus came to call to spiritual health and to righteousness.
the truly great miracle, the unfathomable wonder of it all, is that in Jesus Christ, God has identified with you. He identified with you in your humanity, in all of your temptations, and in your frailty. And for those agonizing hours of his passion, as he went through all the suffering and the pain of his torture and his crucifixion, he identified with your sinfulness. And he bore the torment of all of its punishments for you, so that you might not be condemned or lost forever. His identification with you as a sin-sick sinner has assured you of a new identity in Christ Jesus, an identity which our Heavenly Father sees as seamless and perfect and whole. Praise be to God Almighty that in Jesus he came not only to call the righteous, but to call you and me the sinners. And he has called us to a righteousness that guarantees our place at his eternal heavenly banquet table. May this confession, this faith, and this promise be ours now and forevermore. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.